Hello, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll choose a Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Check us out or play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Okay, Kyle, back to finally finish this thing off. This has been an absolute monster of a bracket. And of course, to help us finish it off, we got Christian back. Thank you, Christian, for sticking with us to the very end and seeing this thing through. Yeah, absolutely. To be fair, I didn't know all this entailed until <laughs> we got into it, but I'm happy to be here. We're wrapping it up. You're, you're going to be free in about 45 minutes, so just, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for you. Awesome. But your reputation may be ruined forever. Already ruined. <laughs> all right, so before we hop into the final four bracket here and decide who truly is the best Disney song. There was some breaking news this week, Chris. In fact, as we're recording, it was yesterday. And the news was that Bob Iger was going to be stepping down as Disney CEO and move over into kind of an advisor position over on as a chairman, as a chairman on the board. And taking Mr. Iger's place was Mr. Chapek who most recently was the head of Disney Consumer Products and was really behind the, uh, the, the introduction of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge to the domestic Disney parks. So we have somebody who is really this mastermind of acquisition. He acquired uh, Pixar. He acquired Marvel. He uh, did all of these incredible things for the company on the com- just company-wide side. Uh, Iger did. And you're moving over to Bob Chapek, who's really lived in the parks world and has made a lot of decisions in the parks world that Disney fans weren't very privy to. And you can tell that by Diz Twitter. The minute the news broke, Diz Twitter was on fire like the scene in Pirates of the Caribbean. Chris, what are your thoughts on this move? Well, first of all, it was pretty shocking We kind of knew that he was going to step down within the next couple of years because he's had a pretty long run and a very successful run at that. And so we assumed Bob Iger would eventually enter into some kind of transitional period. The fact that it was like an effective immediately move is what's really kind of shocking. I was afraid that it was some kind of like Me Too movement issue where he he was forced out of office. Um, And... uh, details haven't really emerged exactly why it was so sudden but uh kevin from defunct land made a good tweet and he said that you know the fact that Iger stepped down is not shocking but the fact that it just all of a sudden happened right was shocking and that companies like this like literally one of the biggest companies in the world have succession plans for their ceo and transition periods that last years and not just like one day it's one guy and the next day it's the other guy completely. And like obviously Iger's still around to advise and whatnot, but it is abrupt. So Diz Twitter completely exploded. And the reason I think that is is because so many of those people are Disney cast members and 
Bob Chapek did not have a very good relationship with the cast members. He obviously was in charge when prices were escalating at rates never seen before and have reached heights that no one ever thought was going to be possible. Simultaneously, he's been making budget cuts to the parks and also keeping the hourly rates of cast members extremely low, doing other things like taking away their parking lots, and just life as a cast member has become much more difficult than it was before Bob Chapek took over the parks division. So I understand the fear that this man who is a villain to a lot of Disney employees, I understand the fear that he's going to take over and things are only going to get worse from here. I've never been a cast member. You've never been a cast member. I don't really know what it's like to be in their shoes. I don't really know the ins and the outs of like how the management structure there works, how much of what goes on there is actually attributed to the guy who's in charge of the parks and also who, you know, how much trickles down from the CEO. So you could make two arguments here. You could make the argument that like, oh, he's CEO. So now his terrible business practices are going to trickle down to everything. Or you can make the argument that, okay, Chapek's out. New, that means a new guy has to come in and run the parks. And maybe that guy's going to be more sympathetic to the way they treat cast members. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be true just because I mean, things like the Disney college program exist, and I'm happy for people who had really positive experiences in the Disney college program, but the majority of things I hear about it are pretty negative. And in a lot of ways, it's taking advantage of people's hard work um, and kind of making empty promises to them. And, and almost like, it's almost predatory, right? They're, right. they're like being like, Hey, yeah, work for your dream company. Yeah. You can rise the ranks. You can be CEO too one day, kid. Here, serve <laughs> some water cups while you're at it. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think things are going to get better for cast members, but I don't necessarily think that's because Bob Chapek is the new CEO. I don't know that I necessarily have very many feelings on it. I think that, people really gave Iger a really hard time while he was CEO and some of the decisions that he made. But I think in his tenure, he did incredible things for the company. A lot of the moves as like, I mean, as entertainment monopolies go, and it's kind of sketch in that realm, I will say. Um, but the moves benefited the company. At the end of the day, his job was to help the company thrive. And he did it in ways that were also... Um, guest forward as well i mean he was bringing in these changes to the parks he was specifically in anaheim he was spearheading this kind of 60th anniversary makeover of some of our favorite attractions to really enhance it and be forward thinking as to where technology is going he was acquiring what was this kind of flailing superhero studio and made it a mogul like there's nothing bet there's nothing that competes with the Marvel franchises. Like, there's just not. Um, and so, it's. I think it sucks that he's leaving because he was just so innovative and forward-thinking. Now, I don't really know too much about Bob, and I know exactly what you know, that a lot of cast members aren't big fans of him, and that's super unfortunate because of all of the Disney kind of world, like, the parks are what are really my favorite. They're, they're the main draw for me, and so if he was seen as these kind of villains in the park, a villain of the parks. Like I just hope that he's, he still just carries on the torch from, from Iger and really helps enhance the experience and his forward thinking to allow these parks to survive for the next hundred years. You know, like it's, you've, you've just really got to put your best foot forward. 
I have a question for you, Chris. If since we're inheriting this this Parks guy, what do you think would be the one big positive move that he could make that you would be like, "All right, this this guy's this guy's solid. He gets it." This is a tough question because I I thought of this right when the news broke is is what things could this man do that would make me like him? Obviously, third gate in California, fifth gate in Orlando. Those would be a great place to start. But I think those ones are pretty obvious. And no matter who was CEO, that you'd probably get to that point eventually. And I think that a lot of people kind of press that issue a little bit too hard. Maybe more so in California. I don't think Walt Disney World needs a fifth gate at this time just because you look at the way that they were built there is so much unused unutilized space in in all of these parks in Orlando and there's literally like whole corners whole sections of the park you just have to go to Epcot and look at all of the renovations that they're making now they're revitalizing these areas that have gone unused so I don't necessarily think they need a fifth gate in Orlando in California, I think you could definitely make the argument that they need one. But the thing that I kind of want to see him do actually comes from a failed Michael Eisner project. Hmm. I won't say it is Disney Quest, but it is something kind of like Disney Quest. Disney <laughs> Quest was a mission to bring Disney-like experiences directly to everyone all around the country. Mm-hmm. There was the one that was in Orlando that was open for a really long time, but a lot of people don't remember that there was one in Chicago. and. Yep. It was kind of the Disney answer to Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it didn't do really well. People didn't really show up for it, but you got to remember, back then, Disney wasn't the lifestyle brand that it is today, so I think right. that there would definitely be a larger market for something like that today, getting people to interact with Disney in a hands-on way in the city in which they live in. I think it would be really cool, because I can't make it down to the parks very often, but you know, why not capitalize on my money that I'd be willing to spend to go to, <laughs> you know, a Disney dark ride that's just in the middle of Times Square? Like, how awesome would that be? You know, I get enough yeah. satisfaction just walking into the Disney store and seeing all the cool stuff and hearing the Disney music. Like, that's enough for me. But imagine if it was some multi-sensory, incredible Disney experience. Obviously, you've got the Broadway shows, and, like, I try to give as much of my money to those as I can, but... I think I think he could definitely expand on a lot of the experiences. Hmm. What about you? Yeah, I I think mine's a little bit more niche and just kind of nitpicking on my part, and it's very specific just to Disneyland. I would like to them to show this kind of continue this forward thinking and uh, reimagining of classic attractions. You have like the Matterhorn where they didn't really change too much, but they updated the animatronic Yeti and they added the effects as you go up the hill. And we had talked about this via text. While the Haunted Mansion new effects are questionable, they still were exciting and new and didn't take away from the rest of the mansion, right? I would love to see them give that same sort of TLC to Pirates of the Caribbean. I think we got to get Johnny out of there. It's over. They're already trying to connect... A disconnect ties with Johnny like just get him out of there it was great when it first showed up like that was that was them flexing their animatronic muscles on us because at the time that thing seemed so real and it still does but they just haven't maintained them 
so his eyes are looking different ways. Half the time you can see the um, the portion where his neck connects to his body. You can see the little ring around his chest. Um, I would love to see them just update the lighting, update the fire effects. I'd love to see them get Johnny out of there and return it kind of to what it used to be, but then also enhance it. Keep the story the same. Keep the kind of uh, kitschy animatronics the same, but you can add some in some effects in there that would really do the ride well. They already did in the when they brought back the cave and added the dude who turns from human to skeleton. Like that's fun, you know. Just give us some more of that. So I'd love to see Bob start a little forward thinking in terms of some of the more classic attractions and giving them some love. Yeah, it's really hard for me to see any way that this guy could fail. Um, because Disney's such a huge company, a lot of people are comparing this. CEO transition to Apple and it's like oh it's Steve Jobs to Tim Apple right and uh, you know that guy's incompetent and so that's kind of like what's happening here Apple has such a small range of products that it's very easy for a CEO to influence what goes into that Disney has so many outlets and Mm -hmm. it is this conglomerate that Apple is not it's almost like no one could mess up Disney because anything has to get through so many layers until it reaches our hands that it's impossible to mess up. But on the other hand, it might be impossible to take risks in a good way too. Um, So there's some, there's some pros and cons here. Um, I think I'm just in a wait and see, wait and see spot. A lot of Diz Twitter's predicting like, product activations going into Disney parks. And we had those for such a long time. And finally they got rid of them as Disney realized they didn't need that money anymore. But right now people think that Chapek going to be like, Oh, we do need that money. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll see. That kind of stuff doesn't really bother me so much as long as it's not obnoxious. I mean, a lot of the most classic Disney attractions that exist today were, Built with sponsor money, you know. <laughs> like, look yeah. at Small World. Look at the Carousel of Progress. These right. attractions that people have really strong feelings about, you know, that was because Walt was a businessman and decided to take someone's money. So that might be an invalid argument. I don't know. I don't know. It it is interesting though. It was abrupt and it was quite shocking for me to receive the text from my mom who broke me the news. <laughs> me who is on Twitter like literally twenty four seven somehow missed it. Yep, same, same. Well, Chris, we're just going to have to wait and see. Okay, Kyle, we got Spoonful of Sugar. I think we all needed one tonight. So what do you got cooking up over there? I, uh, I'm i still not working from home. I am still on the road. So I went down to the front desk of my hotel and looked in their cooler, and all they had was Heineken. So I am drinking Heineken tonight. Um, it's Once I'm back in Oakland, we're going to be back on my Tiki Game Tiki game uh, is going to be real strong once I get back, but for now, sticking to the classic Heineken. Chris, what are you drinking? Well, I'm normally like the hard alcohol guy in this group, so um, I decided to mix it up and go over to beer, which is something really rare for me. And you know what? Maybe that explains a lot of my behavior in the (laughs) past on this show, Um, but I got myself a pinstripe pilsner. Oh. which is from Blue Point Brewing Co., local New York brewing company. Uh, Giancarlo, 
got announced he's not feeling too good right now. Mm-mm. So I feel like I got to drink this one in his honor. Pour one out. Tonight. Got to pour one out. Christian, what are you working on? So I opened my fridge and I had one of two choices. I could either continue along with the, the ice mountains and, and have a Coors, or I could pick up a claw. Your boy picked up a claw. Yeah. Hey. There you go. There you go. Strong That's a mouse choice. madness classic, the old white claw. It never fails. Gets the job done. Bubbles. What's more Disney than bubbles? <laughs> wow, You're great not take. wrong. Great take. <laughs> First move by new CEO, Bob Chapik, announcing a white claw deal. Put white claws inside all Disney parks. Wow. Breaking it's, news, guys. Yeah, it's going to be a theme to the Toy Story claw. And there's, it's oh. going to be a green apple flavored with the green aliens. I, oh. Disney, I know you're listening, so go ahead and uh, shoot, shoot me an email. I'll accept your offer anytime. Well, speaking of emails, we did not get as much negative feedback after last week's episode where we got down to the final four. I think we're kind of slowly getting closer to a result people are going to be okay with. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we have left are, are some some pretty good songs. But I wanted to point out a really good point Jason made in our Discord server, which if y'all are not in Discord, y'all need to get in there because it's super fun. We chat all day long about whatever Disney stuff comes up throughout our day. Jason hopped in there, and he was talking about how much he loves How Far I'll Go. He's always thinking about this stuff in terms of his daughter, and he thought that How Far I'll Go might be the best Disney song because it's so empowering, and that's a song that he wants his daughter to look up to. Meanwhile, Let It Go may be a little bit overrated because it kind of has mixed messages in there. Like, you know, Elsa's kind of running away from her issues, leaving them behind, which maybe is not the best lesson to teach young people. Yeah, I mean, Jason provides a point of view that neither you and I can provide to this podcast. So it's always appreciated when somebody hops in and gives us their two cents. And we, we love to talk about it in the Discord. We also just created a Facebook page. So hoping to spark some more discussion over there. You can find us just by searching Mouse Madness. Um, but yeah, keep the convos going. And speaking of keeping the convos going, Chris, let's hop in and decide which of these is the best Disney song. For those of you that have not been following along, we are down to our final four, whittled down from a list of 32 songs determined by Disneyland park goers who were singing along to the entire Fantasmic soundtrack. And we have, on one side of the bracket, the number 16 seed, Remember Me, from Coco, versus the number 13 seed, Part of Your World, from Little Mermaid. On the other side, we've got Number six, Circle of Life from The Lion King versus number seven, You've Got a Friend in Me from pretty much every Toy Story movie ever made. So, Kyle, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I know you have a lot of thoughts about this. I know Christian always brings great insight to this. So I'm going to go ahead and defer kickoff to you on this one. This is interesting because these are both songs you did not have advancing to the final (laughs) four. So I can't wait to hear what you have for these two. Great. I love it. Let, let's let get it going. So we brought up a lot already about Remember Me and just how impactful it was to everyone that has seen the movie. Um, it really tugged at the heartstrings, was really a theme that we kept harking on. The fact that Miguel is singing at the end is very powerful. It's kind of this end of a journey moment where this is what the song meant to him before has a completely different meaning for him now. Uh, it was once sung by his hero 
now sung by essentially his biggest enemy, but he's still using it to connect to his grandma, which is incredible. Um, part of your world, um, I, I took a lot of slack in the last episode because of how much I was not on board with part of your world, uh, and Christian made it known to the world that I was half ginger, and Christian, I thank you for pointing that out to everybody. Um, thank you so much. Uh, what I failed to to bring up, we we brought up like how many variations of Remember Me there is. There's the kind of upbeat mariachi part. There's the really slow Miguel portion, and then it's there's this kind of Remember Me theme that continues to play throughout the entire soundtrack. Party of Your World does the same exact thing. It's kind of Ariel's theme. I always said that the best part of Your World was the most iconic part in the middle of the movie when she, well, the wave splashes behind mm -hmm. her and she belts that last line. Um, I failed to remember that it comes back at the very end. After they get married, the chorus comes in, the choir singing, and it's this very, like, uh, uh, just Disney-esque riding off literally into the sunset with the with this Disney chorus singing behind you and that's just, oh man I forgot I don't know why I forgot about that and then after we recorded last time I was like wait a minute it redeems itself completely throughout the movie just like remember me continues to inspire you through the movie and change it up so that you're not just hearing the same thing part of your world does that but just a, it's just a slight tweak um it's, uh, it, this one could, for me, oh man, it's, it's like, what do I give into? Do I give into kind of like the recent hype over Remember Me, which is an incredible song, or do I allow like this kind of nostalgia bias to filter through with part of your world being that it's, it's an 89 movie, but was really associated with the nineties. You know, I think that just because Remember Me has just made such much much more of an impact on me personally. And I just think that the versatility of that song carries weight a lot more than part of your world. Chris, I'm going to go with Remember Me moving on to the finals. So I, I referenced this last episode. I said that part of your world is one of those I want songs that are so common in Disney movies. But I think it's probably the best one. And do we give it credit for being the best I want song fits right in nicely in this catalog or do we knock it for just being another I want song? Uh, I, I'm honestly kind of like torn on that issue. I am going to advance remember me, but let me tell you kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for part of your world for me. It was that the themes present in Remember Me are like really good themes that I think are relatable and impactful and are positive in the movie Coco. Don't love the movie as a whole, but I can say <laughs> that the themes are really good. I really, really love yeah. the themes present in that movie. The Little Mermaid, this is the reason you don't like this movie is because the resolution to the problem is... You get what you want, and right. everything works out just the way you wanted it to, which is not a great parallel to real life. So I think for that reason, 
I don't like it so much. So like I said before, I'm agreeing with you. And me, the guy who doesn't like Coco, is advancing Remember Me to the finals of the best Disney song bracket. Christian, your thoughts on that decision? I'm I'm pretty shook, honestly. I, I I'm happy about the decision, but I definitely didn't expect to have a final where Alan Menken wasn't in it. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think that y- part of your world. I think we're being hypercritical of it now because you kind of have to be once you've talked about both of these songs for 20 minutes each. But I think for what it was for such a vast audience, I think you you can absolutely talk about themes and all of that. But it, it was also just like, how, how comfortable were we with storytelling in the 90s right Right. and in the late 80s i think we always wanted there to be a resolution we always wanted it to feel clean and that still holds true to a lot of disney storytelling um so i i was almost expecting the two of you to move it forward simply because alan menken is such a a giant for disney when it comes to this bracket that it it i didn't expect him to not be in the final but I agree with everything you both just kind of laid out. I think that remember me in this new era of awareness and, uh, and, and climate, you really needed there to be a character, a story about a family like, like Coco's uh, for, for us to, have like a champion in, in the final, right? That you could really root for. Um, but I think you guys did a great job of breaking that down and, and I'm happy with how it moved forward. I'm glad that the cards, uh, I guess my, my Latino, <laughs> my Latino uh, influence actually had an effect. You're welcome. Lopez, Lopez and Lopez. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> so I, I think that's a great take and that's a great segue into our next matchup. We've got circle of life, versus you've got a friend in me and the way i see it there are two types of disney song there are the menken broadway inspired songs that are characters singing about their feelings and there's the classic disney song structure which is songwriting and lyrics that are extremely poignant and they are able to cut through to a specific relatable theme or human experience really well when you wish upon a star even though i might not agree with like the like oh just when you wish upon a star dream dream comes true it is a feeling that everyone can relate to right and they do it so quickly and so simply and so straightforward that i love that and remember me has a lot of that in there too very Mm -hmm. simple very short song and over here on this side of the bracket you've got you've got a friend in me which to me is a song just like that. It does a great job bringing in a lot of those old school Disney elements where you're picking something everyone can relate to, the idea of friendship, and you're just dressing it up a little bit for a modern audience. Said it last episode, I'll say it again. The idea that love is not necessarily the classical way that so many Disney movies in the past had depicted it. Man and woman prince and princess whatever love can be between friends and there can be an abundance of love in someone's life just by surrounding yourself with friends 
And I love the way that the song breaks down the relationship that friends can have between one another. I have friends who make me mad all the time. I have friends who have terrible qualities. I have friends who sometimes I don't want to hang out with them. And the song says it. They say, some folks might be a little bit smarter than I am, bigger and stronger too, maybe. But none of them will ever love you the way I do. Just me and you, boy. It's perfect. That's that's just a perfect way to capture the idea of friendship and love, which I think is is really Disney. That's that's really Disney because it's isolating a very specific feeling, a very specific relationship, a very specific human experience. On the other hand, you've got Circle of Life, which I think I might have been unfair in saying that it's not like a jam because it is. Yep. Yeah, I vibe with this song. But I think Disney kind of outkicks their coverage in the theme that they choose to cover in the song. It's like they get really existential. And so when I'm watching Toy Story and watching this scene where Andy's playing with Woody and he's singing about friendship, I'm, I'm thinking about all my friends in my life and the good times that I have with them. When I'm watching Circle of Life, I'm just kind of like, oh, there's a lion. Oh, there's a giraffe. There's a gazelle. Because it's prompting you to think about this like insanely abstract idea that just it's just so broad, and I don't think that it's a wrong message or I don't think it's bad. It's just not that specific, and that makes it not as relatable to me and applicable to my real life. So for that reason, I'm going with You've Got a Friend in Me, taking that one to the finals. Something that I brought up with circle of life and that I gave it points for was how much of an impact it had without it relying on a character to be singing it and that's the same thing that's happening and you've got a friend in me it's it's Randy Newman's goofy voice singing over this um, absolutely fantastic flute right um, the point that you brought up is how this like simple relatable concept is constructed through Newman's song and I think that you can also kind of apply that to circle of life where it's this it's not even just an experience it's it's literally just what we live it's this like give and get get or give and take and it's this everything affects everything else and it just does such a good job just like you've got a friend in me does such a good job of really setting the stage for what you're going to see in this movie without walking down the road of like, here's the girl, girl meets boy, boy leaves and girl finds him again. You know, like it's, it's really saying that there's, that was beautiful by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, if we have any producers out in the audience, go ahead and do a little remix of that bit right there. I would love it. It could be our new theme song. <laughs> um, I just, I just think that as much as you've got a friend in me really sticks with me and it gives me this kind of emotional uh, reaction every single time I heard it. Like I brought it up in the very first episode we talked about, like how when it happens in Toy Story 4, you're pumped, you're ready to go. Same thing with Circle of Life though. And even in the remake, like hearing that again, just it brought me back to a place. And it's, I just, I just think that both lyrically, um, orchestrally, and just how it's composed is just stronger than You've Got a Friend in Me. So I'm actually going the technical route because I feel like these songs are so 
easily compared in, in their structure in general. I'm going technical. I'm moving circle of life on. Bring the chaos, Christian. You're breaking this tie. Wow. I feel like we really overlooked how far I'll go. Maybe we can just go back a bracket really quick. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I wish. So, so I think I experience all of the emotion with each of these songs. I think that I have more of a problem with with listening to you've got a friend in me just like on my iPod, right? Like if that comes up, I'm not like, not that I'm searching out circle of life either, but I think if, if, if I put both of those two and I, if I, and I needed to listen to an entire song all the way through circle of life does more for me. I think also when we're, when we're, when we think about you've got a friend in me, it had more opportunities to, to drill its impact into us because it was consistent over four films, right? It's not like we just had it as a standalone. It came back and back and back. <laughs> so they really like that, that beginning sequence instantly brings you not just back to a single film, but to like uh, a journey of us watching Andy grow up, right? And eventually not having him be part of it. I mean, Toy Story 3, when he's in college, like we literally all were in college and it, right. it, and it was this larger thing. I remember seeing my mom in the movie theater, like tearing up because it, 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 we, we all had that exact same experience, but that's the films doing that. And the films in sequence doing that, that's not necessarily the song in my opinion. Whereas circle of life had such a big moment in the 90s and when you listen to elton john uh destroy that song with his voice <laughs> and the way that i that i have seen it live on on broadway and and if you just google a performance of it every time you get a new cast just breathing life into that song it it, it feels new it feels like you can reinvent it over and over and over i don't see many people doing that with randy newman's piece um, because of that, I'm going to side with my boy, Kyle, and I'm going to move. He just feels bad, bad for the, circle feels of bad for the ginger, ginger comment last time, so, so he's I, I, siding I, with me. I have no shame about your gingerness. <laughs> oh, boy. What I will say, uh, I, I was thinking about this when you brought it up, Christian, because you're talking about how well this song transfers over to Broadway. I'd be interested in a Toy Story Broadway uh, musical just because I would love to see how they terrify. Well, I think the parks may have attempted that at some point, actually. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised. That sounds surprised. familiar. But, um, yeah, I want to see a man in, like, a big Buzz costume type. <laughs> Can't move his arms. He's <laughs> stuck Buzz in a big, right like... <laughs> Anyways. Wow, guys. Wow. Okay. Here so... we go. Folks, we are down to our final two. Best Disney song of all time. We've got Remember Me from Coco versus Circle of Life from Lion King. I had no idea we were going to get to this point. Nope. Absolutely no idea. If you told me this is where we'd ended up, I would have been like, no way. Although <laughs> I will say these are two deserving songs. I think, they're, I, think yeah. they're great. I think every song in this bracket... 
besides maybe a couple, deserving to be in the final two. I will start this off. Kyle and Christian, I consider myself to be a lover of music. Okay. Mm-hmm. I consider it a hobby of mine, and it's an experience I'm sure you can relate to. Having a song trigger a time or a place or a great memory in your life. Sure. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Every single song on this bracket, and this is the reason everyone's so passionate about this one, all of the songs on these bracket had and have the ability to take its listeners into a different time and a different place. It invokes a feeling of nostalgia that the Disney company is entirely built on. And Remember Me, though it is a song about death and it is a song about memory, it is also a song about experiencing nostalgia and reliving the past through music. So I know it sounds a little bit meta to like say that it's a better song because of that. I just think that that's extremely creative. And to me, that's a way that this song encompasses all of the other songs that are present here. And listeners to this podcast will know we love a finalist who incorporates parts of all of the other songs and things that made the bracket before. So I love Remember Me for that reason. Here's the thing that's interesting. This song, Remember Me, has very little nostalgic value to me. I don't really associate any like positive, extremely positive memories with it. I don't think of a person or a time in my life where maybe I heard the song for the first time or just jammed out to it a lot. Every time I hear how far I'll go, I think of us in that hot tub in Brighton. <laughs> right? Great times. Transport you to time and place. Remember me? That song doesn't really do that for me, but I still appreciate the fact that it will for a lot of people. Hmm. And so it's dealing with these themes that I love. It's a song about music, and it speaks to every other song that exists on our bracket and in the Disney library. For that reason, I think it's extremely representative of the genre, and it very expertly navigates all of this stuff. I don't really have anything left to say about Circle of Life because I have debated against it the last like three or four rounds. <laughs> I think it's a great song. I also love the themes present in that song, but it's just a little bit too much for me. So, as you could have guessed, I am submitting my vote for Remember Me from Coco as the best Disney song. <laughs> Which is a sentence I did not think I was going to say ever. I th- this is something that we I think talked about maybe in the very first episode of this bracket is some of these songs haven't had a chance to really show if they can survive the test of time. Right. And that's it's also a theme that we've brought up in past episodes with the princes. Like some of their tactics did not stand the test of time. Some of the movies didn't stand the test of time. With Remember Me, we we just don't know yet, right? And, and I'm not saying this is a knock against Remember Me, because I do think Remember Me is an amazing song, but it's just something to consider is that it's so recent that we haven't been able to see what legs it has and like where it's gonna fall within people's perception of what a Disney song is. 
I think what really, for me, puts Circle of Life over the edge is that, is that Remember Me... Okay. Remember Me really affected everybody who watched the movie because it was a really sad scene. Christian, you brought this up within this last one. How much of it was the scene carrying the legs of the song? Not saying the song's bad, but in that moment that really made it hit with people and people talking about, man, every time I hear that song, I, I just get sad now. Is it because they remember how sad it was to see like Mama Coco maybe dying right there? Or is it because the song actually affected them? I don't know. For me, it was the scene. Circle of Life, on the other hand, is just so powerful. It is not only an anthem for the movie, but it provides the ground for the entire theme, for the entire story. It provides the authenticity, kind of much like Remember Me does, authenticity of the sound that they are going to go with for the entire rest of the movie. You're going to hear the themes of it, just like Remember Me throughout the rest of the movie. What I like more about it than Remember Me is... I really enjoy that this song can stand alone. You can listen to Elton John sing it. You can listen to anybody do it. Um, and it's not connected directly to a character. It's connected to this movie. And for me, Remember Me is either connected to De La Cruz or Miguel. It's not. It's it's these characters singing it. And personally, and this is what this whole, this whole podcast is about, it's these personal biases and opinions. Personally, I think the stronger song is the one that can hold its own ground. For me, Chris, I am going circle of life because we are not able to let this bracket off this easy. And Christian didn't know he was signing up for three parts, let alone did he know he was going to decide the winner and be the receiver of all hate mail. Christian, please <laughs> let us know who can hold the title of best Disney song. Yeah, it feels like it feels like we're beating dead horses at this point because we've talked about these songs for four rounds. Um, Welcome to but, the pod. But, I, but I, I want to continue to beat this dead horse. Um, I think when I think of Circle of Life, there's like a grandioso-ness to it, right? It's so much larger than than a song the only thing that i hold against it is that i probably couldn't sing any lyrics i don't know any of them by heart outside of the chorus and that like shout at the beginning of it right like i'm, I'm looking at the lyrics right now and uh if I'm just reading it, like some of us fall by the wayside and some of us soar to the stars and some of us sail through our troubles. Like it, I could have literally just read this for the first time and never realized that I had heard it before. Um, and I think part of that is the singers in the films, uh, the way that they read the song and the way that, that they kind of uh, allow language to, to affect the lyrics um, but even when I listen to Elton John's version, right? Like I, I prefer Elton John's, but there's still something about the way that he sings it that doesn't make me truly understand what's being said. I just know that there's a feeling that I get when I hear the song and that it feels big and that it feels all encompassing, right? When I put that next to remember me, right? People may not remember every lyric, but when you hear those lyrics, that's what sticks with you, right? Right. 
it's though I have to travel far. Remember me every time you hear a sad guitar, the, that the lyrics are what drives the conversation for me in this instance. It's the lyrics that actually are telling the story. So I do disagree with you, Kyle, that I, I don't need the scene to carry the weight of this song because I can hear the song in Miguel's version in pop, I can hear it in Spanish, I can hear it slowed down. I think the most impactful version is Miguel when he is singing it in that instance, not because Mama Coco is is kind of looming in the background and dying, <laughs> but, <laughs> but because it's a little boy experiencing heartbreak and loss and probably his first moment of true grief and everyone remembers the first time that they lost a grandparent, right? Or a dog or, you know, a, a friend, whatever that is. And I think that's what the song means to me. It means remember these things, these people, these experiences, because those are going to be the things that you do get to keep with you, even when they are gone. Um, and when if you, and I know both of you understand uh, a good amount of Spanish. When you when you listen to it in Spanish, there's this really interesting quality about it because Spanish music tends to be very overly dramatic, right? It, it really goes there every single time. Um, and I think when you listen to it in Spanish, it, it, it almost doubles down. It almost feels heavier because of the language and the romance to the lyrics. So... Um, I think I'm I'm struggling with this one only because I I think the number 16 seed and then what is what is circle of life right now boys what did they come in at 6 6 right like I I think I think most people would probably want circle of life to be the winner because it's an easier choice but again coming back to personal preference personal experience and what it does for me um, on that granular level, I'm gonna make it remember me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've been waiting for for three episodes now, we have the winner of the best Disney song bracket, and it is the number 16 seed, Remember Me from the movie Coco. Guys, time to clap it out because. That was not a marathon. That was, I don't know. That was a a ten day road trip in a smelly van with your two best friends. That was <laughs> incredible, absolutely incredible. And even though it didn't go my way, I'm not mad at Remember Me. And I'm gonna be really interested in seeing if this song really does stand the test of time and is remembered as a strong Disney song. Coco has already not been remembered as a great Disney Pixar movie by me. Um, <laughs> all right, so. Thank you to all of our listeners for embarking on this voyage with us. Again, thank you to Christian for sticking around with us for so long, listening to all yes. of our madness and yes. our over-analysis of these simple songs. Well, you all know where to reach us. If you have things to say about this, which I'm sure you will, you can send us a tweet at MouseMadnessPod. Or send us an email, MouseMadnessPodcast at gmail.com. And as I said before, you can hop in the Discord. Send us some hot flames directly. Oof, I don't even know how to sign off on this one. Let's go ahead and let's get a little 
Let's get a little Remember Me Lullaby version sung by our very own Christian Campos. Why don't you why don't you play us out, Christian? Remember me, though I have to say goodbye. Remember me. Don't let it make you cry. Forever in my far away, I'll hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you each night we are apart. Remember me.